0: On my toes, for sure.
1: Good morning. Will you join me in the prayer for illumination? In your bulletin and on the wall. God of all grace, you have called to be on a mission. Our mission is to love you with all that we have, and to love one another. Teach us through your word how we can live on mission in the name of Jesus, amen. Our scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit internal life? He said to him, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: Did you ever see those action and adventure movies that begins with someone receiving an envelope and they open the envelope and it says here is your mission should you choose to accept it and then the letter spells out the details of a near mission impossible and the hero or the heroine fulfills the mission no matter the cost so go goes the movies If I ask you what the mission of the United Methodist Church or the mission of St. Paul's United Methodist Church is, how many of you would know? You don't have to raise your hands. The mission of the United Methodist Church is the same as the Great Commission given to us by Jesus. Because if Jesus gave a mission to his disciples, why would we, the church, have any other mission? We are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. These words, the mission of the United Methodist Church, echo those of Jesus when he told his disciples that they would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Spirit, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything Jesus had commanded. We are on a mission. The question now is, do we choose to accept it? As with everything, God does not make our choices for us. God gifted us with free will to make our own decisions and our own choices. In this sixth week of our learning series surrounding the five practices of fruitful congregations, we are studying risk taking, mission, and service. Sound familiar, Molly? A bit. To complete a mission is inherently risky. If it weren't risky, it probably wouldn't be called a mission, and we would probably be doing it already. If it didn't carry some element of surrender or sacrifice, it would not be missional. To be missional, you have to be intentional, choosing to look for opportunities to serve others. You have to walk around the world with your head on a swivel, looking for moments that you can step into service. That's exactly what happened in our gospel reading today. This is a story that we are likely very familiar with. Even those outside the church know what a good Samaritan is. Everyone knows that a good Samaritan is someone who steps outside of themselves, outside of their own needs to tend to the needs of another A good Samaritan chooses to help when they see a need, regardless of who is in need, even when it's someone that you must cross a boundary to reach. The good Samaritan often does not even wait for a request for help to come. You know, sometimes with stories like these, the stories that we've heard since our days in Vacation Bible School or Children's Church we become almost too familiar with the story. Yeah, 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 everybody knows the Good Samaritan. When we become so familiar, we begin to water down the theology. This story of the Good Samaritan, who risked to care for another, becomes a watered-down version of, well, be nice. Jesus calls us to be nice. But when you study scripture, mission and service means much more than just being nice. And in truth, the Good Samaritan was and did a great deal more than just what a nice guy might do. The Good Samaritan shows evidence of living a life where service to others is worshipful. It's an act of worship to God to step into someone else's need. The story of the Good Samaritan shows us That the Good Samaritan was not self-centered, focused on just himself. That the Good Samaritan didn't just serve people who were like him. He crossed the cultural boundary to help someone who was on the opposing side. As I said, to complete our mission, we have to live with our heads on a swivel, looking for opportunities to serve others, regardless of who they are looking for opportunities to love others and to introduce them to the kind of love that we received from Jesus Christ. It all begins with looking outside ourselves, something we're not always very good at. For those of you who know Dominic, I'm going to pick on him again, he loves videos, yes? You don't have to be in his presence long before you hear, hey, hey, look at this. One of his favorite things, people falling just cracks him up. I don't know what the, you know, it, it, people videos of people falling. And I, you know, he's like, I always get on him. He's like, Mom, they're okay or else they wouldn't post it online. Like, that's quite a leap of, you know, assumption there. But anyway. So Dominic loves to show me videos of people, and you've probably seen them or seen this in real life, people walking along looking at their phone. They've got their face. In their phone as they move and they're completely unaware of everything that happened or is happening around them and they might be by themselves they might be with people I don't know why people are videoing them which is my question who's just videoing people walking down the street but so they're walking face in their phone and without fail as they walk face down they trip and face plant that's what you do well we all do it sometimes but But they're walking down the street, or his favorite ones are like when they're in the middle of of a boulevard or where there's a small tree and they just clobber themselves walking into the tree, or if they fall into a fountain, you know, those are favorites of his. Without fail, as they walk with their face down, they trip. And it might make him laugh, but, you know, that's a dangerous, a dangerous thing. I almost hit a student over by Tiffin University, who was walking, looking at his phone. I had a green light, and he confidently walked right out in front of me, facing his phone, and I don't know how I didn't hit him. Praise God. I know that I'm making somewhat light of this, but this is a real problem, not only for the kid that I almost hit or the person who ends up face, face to face with a tree, This is a real problem. We're so wrapped up in what we are doing that if we were the good Samaritan, would we even notice the poor man lying in the ditch? Or are we too busy, too distracted, too, you know, invested in what we're thinking about? We've got, I've got 10 minutes to get where I'm going. I've got to get there. Have we succumbed to an idol of busyness that we don't even notice what's happening around us? Do we see the need around us? Or are we too busy, too distracted, too preoccupied that we miss everything? We miss the opportunity to show kindness. Not even niceness, but kindness. I talked about moving from nice into kind. It would have been nice if the good Samaritan helped him up out of the ditch. Maybe put a couple Band-Aids on him, realized, oh, you're not one of my people, so good luck. That would have been nice, probably. But being nice is doing what's expected of us, but being kind is looking for ways that we can go beyond nice into true selfless kindness and love. And remember, church, they'll know we are Christians by our love. The story of the Good Samaritan is a simple story, but the true message for us is anything but simple. We don't always use our free will to show kindness and goodness, to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit of God that we possess, thanks to the Spirit of God. Often we use our free will to walk with our heads down, not looking for missional opportunities to love others. If we truly understand the gospel as Jesus taught it, we are required to live into this law of loving others. It's as important as any other rule or expectation that we follow. And as we continue to follow this law of loving others, God will continue to refine us, moving from, you know, I'm doing this because it's what I'm supposed to do, into true reflection of the Spirit as we grow in the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. We'll go from doing what's expected of us, doing the nice thing, to seeking out intentional opportunities to love and serve others as we have been loved. We will move into radical and risky missional acts, like dragging someone up and out of a ditch and caring for them, and then making sure they're cared for after we leave, regardless of who they are. We will become true doers of the word and not simply hearers of the word, as James says. Jesus said over and over and over again that we need to love by serving, we need to lead by serving. And as we do these things, we are loving God and serving God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not simply for us, yet, sometimes we act as if we've been saved. And that's the end of the story when truly God calls us into action and our moment of, of justification, of accepting God's grace is merely a beginning. Micah 6.8 says, he has told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The law requires that of us. We wear our seatbelts because the law requires it. We pay our taxes because the law requires it. And we want to escape the penalty of not fulfilling and abiding by that law. We do all sorts of things that we don't necessarily want to do because the law requires it. But do we do what the Lord requires? You know, it doesn't say, the Lord would like you when you feel so inclined to eh, be nice. That's how we live sometimes. The scripture says the Lord requires you. The Lord requires you to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Do we worry about the punishment if we do not feel, fulfill the requirement? God is a God of love but God is also a God of expectation and he expects his people to reflect what has been invested in them and to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with him. Do we even think or do we walk around with our heads down, self-interested, ignorant to the lives around us that have gone into the ditch? I hope that this study that we've done, this book that we've read, this teaching series that you have participated in for six weeks, I hope it has made you uncomfortable. It has made me uncomfortable. It has stretched me in my thinking, it has challenged my ideas. It's made me think, wow, why didn't I think of that? That's so simple. It made me realize that we don't have to do everything perfectly, but we have to do something. You know, I love the United Methodist Church. I love it big. We think the 11th commandment is thou shalt committee. Right? We can't change a light bulb without going to a committee and asking what kind of light bulb do we need and where should we get it and what about this one and should we switch to that? And what, you know, thou shalt committee for goodness sake's church just do something right sometimes we we need to shoot and then aim and get ready sometimes we just got to do something and i think that we sometimes can trip ourselves up so this book has challenged me to stop having uh, to stop being frozen by you know, making plans and frozen by expectation and frozen by committee and frozen paralysis by analysis, guilty. When Jesus says, would you go? Would you just go? Just go and do something, for goodness sakes. In the opening pages of this chapter, I was deeply moved as I read the story of the homeless church by the river. If you haven't read it, I think this is chapter five. I don't know. We've been bouncing around this book like a bingo. So I think it's chapter five. But, but go and read the risk-taking mission chapter that begins with this story of the homeless church by the river. I was moved by how it began and by how it evolved and by the mission that came to be at the end. There was a couple who simply wondered about the homeless population in their town. And as they looked around, it seemed like they didn't have one. And they thought that was odd to not have any homeless at all in their city. And so they asked about it. They began to ask around, like, hey, do we, have, do we have homeless people here? And when they asked about it, they were told that the, the city leaders routinely picked up anyone in, from the homeless population and took them out of town, out of the city limits. Problem solved, right? Ridiculous. Just outside of town, there's now a tent city of homeless people. By removing them from the city's neighborhoods, the leaders had created a new neighborhood comprised of those who truly had no neighbors. The couple continued to be bothered by this idea that the homeless population was just being plucked and deposited outside of sight. And so they moved into action. They just went and visited the tent city, And in these first very uncomfortable moments, they simply asked their homeless neighbors, what do you need? They asked how they could truly act as neighbors to them with no expectation of anything in return. They didn't say, could you come and be part of this program that we're launching to reintegrate you into the city? Or could you come to my church? Could you come to worship with us? They didn't even ask them how to enter into temporary shelter, even though all three of those things are wonderful things, but overwhelming things when you first meet someone. You can overwhelm someone. So they simply said, what do you need? How can I help? And the, the response was, we need socks, underwear, batteries, and some food. Socks, underwear, batteries, and food. They thought, well, we can do that. And so they, in bringing their own awareness to the group, in being the first in a long time who had asked, what do these people need? They found out that that they have simple emergent needs. And so they brought them socks, underwear, batteries, and some non-perishable food. And soon after, they built relationships with their new neighbors. And then they began to share their faith. And they prayed together and ate together and worshiped together and studied together. Hmm, sounds a lot like the early church who prayed together and studied together and worshiped together and broke bread together. And they continue to say, what do you need? And their new neighbor said, we have needs around personal hygiene. We we just really wanna take a shower and wash our clothes. And that's where I began to question are you really helping with these seemingly Band-Aid solutions? Don't you want to help them get shelter and jobs and finances? You see, but here's the thing. I'm looking at them as a problem to be fixed. I'm here to fix what's wrong with your life. These people came in and said, what do you need? I'm your neighbor. Because in truth, if a new neighbor from in my neighborhood came to my door and said, can I borrow a cup of sugar? I'm making cookies and I don't have enough sugar. I wouldn't say, have you considered your sugar intake? Have you thought maybe of substituting stevia? And you know, with the cost of inflation, is baking, it's not really necessary. Are you using your budget effectively? Of course not. That's ridiculous. I would give them sugar because sugar is what they need. So why would I look at another person who says, I need food, water, socks, underwear, and batteries, and say, but have you considered budgetary restructuring? We'll get there with a relationship. But don't look at someone as a problem to be fixed or removed. Look at them as a neighbor with a need. And so this young couple moved within their church and they made a facility that had showers and washing machines. They simply saw them as neighbors and they showed them kindness and love and said, what do you need? The parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us that love seeks out neighbors who have a need, who need justice, love, and mercy, who need compassion and care. Jesus asks the lawyer, who acted as a neighbor to the hurting man? And the lawyer responds, the Samaritan. And then Jesus ended his teaching with his call to action. Now go and do the same. Church, this is our mission, if we choose to accept it. Amen? Amen. Let's move into a time of prayer.